to get ready to look, as time permits, at um, a lot of other scriptures because, I, well, I'll tell you uh, what that means here in just a second uh, because of the nature of what we're going to talk about uh, tonight out of this sixth chapter. You may have noticed on the prayer guide on the back that Bob prayed for the unity of the capital C church. Do you all know what he means when he says the capital C church? It means the church, the uh, the big church, not just like the local church, but the church that represents Christ. And I put that on there. I put that on there today. Always on Wednesday, I go over the prayer guide and add or, or remove things uh, for those specific areas. And by the way, you have a lot to pray about if you want to say, what do I pray about during the week? You have plenty of things to pray about right there in that guide. And that'll uh, take you uh, through the week. And you can break it up and just take portions of it every day if you want to. Pray through the whole thing every day. But the reason I put the unified church there is if you were the devil, <clears throat> wouldn't you think the best thing you could do to disrupt the work of God would be to divide the church? W wouldn't you think that would be true to divide the church? And uh, over the last uh, month away, and, um, and uh, I've been reading a great deal, as I said, but I've also been hearing a lot of what I think is just downright uh, division uh, that uh, uh, the church is dealing with. And it, most of it has to do with COVID. Uh, mask or not mask, vaccination or not vaccination, I, all of these things. And I think... Uh, I'm not fussing about any of that. What I am saying, though, is if I were the devil, I'd get the church at odds with itself over these kinds of things because there's a great deal of fear out there. And the devil will capitalize on fear. And if the church, we pray for our nation, we look at the, uh, our nation is sick. And read my column Sunday. I talk about, um, well, I talk about the church in America and not so much about division. I talk about, I, I received a call yesterday from, and I'm not going to tell you which one, a major national ministry. They have a national, uh, significant national ministry. You would know it if I told you. And they had seen a, either a message or a, a uh, sermon short uh, on YouTube of, one of my messages when I talked about the woke, W-O-K-E, church. And um, they had called and asked if I would, uh, they're doing a documentary on the woke church in America and the dangers of the woke church in America. And they asked, would I allow them to interview me for that? And we're still talking about it, uh, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm always real cautious about those kinds of things. I'm not afraid to talk about the woke church uh, and uh, at all, but I want to make sure it's represented consistent with both my convictions and the Scripture, which I hope and I believe are the same. But when we see across America, we see what I, I really want to see more than focusing even on the woke church. So I think that's very dangerous territory. My column, I talk about that. I want to see an awakened church. I think an awakened church 
And by the way, you won't have an awakened church if it's a divided church. Uh, but an awakened church is the key to saving our nation. It's not politics. It's an awakened church. A church that's genuinely revived. And, um, and so that's why I added tonight on our prayer guide a unified church universally the unified church the power of the church united uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against amen and so i would urge you this i'm praying uh, that very thing i'm praying that god will raise up uh, some esters and some daniels who will pursue the agenda of god and um uh, and that agenda may be costly to pursue the agenda of God. Uh, but if God is in it, the uh, opposite is worse. And so I, I just wanted you to know what that meant if you see that, if you use that prayer guide through the course of the week. And I said just a moment ago, I'm praying for some Esthers and Daniels. I am. I hope you will too. This, this, this culture desperately needs some esters and some daniels would you agree with that who will say we will not bow to the cultural gods uh we will not bow to any god but jehovah god and by the way there's there's going to be more and more pressure for you to bow to the cultural values did you know um i have a article um that uh, I clipped yesterday that uh, California is about to begin mandating that you must be vaccinated to buy groceries. Now, this is, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, so don't, I, 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 you're grown adults. You do what you believe God wants you to do there. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with all of that, either side. But friends, do you understand the message of that? Do you understand the message of that? Do you know the Bible says the day will come when unless you have, and I don't think the vaccination is that, but I'm using this as an example, unless you have the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy or sell? I don't believe this is that, so you need to know that. But I believe it is preparing us for something that's coming. I believe that. Uh, I believe it is preparing us to cave in and give up uh, individual rights. That bothers me. That really bothers me because of what the Bible says and, um, and what it says regard to the last days. The church must be a pillar of truth. Um, and I only tell you that to say, are you ready to be tested? You're going to be tested. 
not for virus. <laughs> You're going to be tested. Your faith is going to be tested. Are you ready? <clears throat> In my prayer time, for the last four weeks, I've, I've been saying, God, help me stand. Help me stand when that hour comes. Um, Esther's a perfect book, isn't it? Because Esther had to stand and at, at, the, at, at the risk of great cost. And she did, didn't she? She did. And it's a great story. Daniel did, didn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Um, and uh, you will have to at some point in time. Um, and I will have to. I've been telling you that for years. Um, but at any rate, um, that's why I put that on there. The power of the church unified, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Didn't say the gates of hell will not assault or attack. It just said they won't prevail. Okay? So now you know why that's on there. Is you pray that God will keep his church church the big church unified um, and there's a lot of the wokeism stuff getting into some of the um, some of the the church I don't think it's here uh, but I, I think it's there in in a lot of places and I think we're going to see more of it unless the move of God uh, comes upon us okay Chapter 6 of Esther, I want, to, I want to talk with you about something tonight. Now, prior to my taking off, I talked to you about the favor of God. Remember, we talked about the favor of God. We talked about how you put yourself in a position to receive the favor of God. We talked about the characteristics of the favor of God. We talked about it in the life of Mordecai. Well, we're going to pick up, we're going to talk more about Mordecai. Mordecai was was the relatives probably the best way to say it of Esther depending on who you talk to their differing opinions of was he an uncle or was he a cousin or that sort of thing but he was a relative let's just say it that way and and um and he was a man whom God favored he was a man by the way like Esther who took a stand and um and at any rate um it goes all the way back to chapter two where he there was an incident where Mordecai uh, found out there was a plot to kill Xerxes. Xerxes is the king. And he, he relayed that message through Esther to Xerxes, and it saved Xerxes' life. And consequently, um, chapter 6 picks up with, with that story in a strange way, but on down the road. And, and so we continue to talk about Mordecai, but I want to talk to you about a particular aspect of this. I'm going to give it to you in this first point, and then we're going to go over and look at some other passages, and then you know we'll never get to these other points tonight. Uh, and I knew that when I did it, but uh, it's still worth, worth doing. Now, 
here's what I want to, uh, here's what I've called Esther 6. God is in, can you imagine what goes in the blank there? Control. And one of the themes, when I gave you the book overview outline sheets, I told you is one of the themes is the, the, the uh, sovereignty of God, the uh, control of God. God is in control. How many of y'all believe that, that God really is in control? But, you know, we all believe that, I think in this room at least, but yet, do you ever struggle to really live like God is in control? Anybody in here ever say, I know he's in control, but I sure do struggle to live like he's in control. Does anybody? I do. I, there are times when I think I have to remind myself, God, you're in control. I'm not in control. And uh, now, what I think happens sometimes is because even though I know God is con in control, I don't like the way he's controlling things. Right? Because I think, well, God, you know... Um, for me, why don't you control it differently, right? And I bet you feel that way, too. I, I don't know if you process it that way, but, but I think that's our struggle, isn't it? We know theologically that God is in control, always has been, and always will be. Um, it, the Bible says this, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that God is not aware of. And by the way, I would add that God's not surprised by. The Bible says that God knows every hair that is on your head or lack thereof. They're all numbered. That's what it says. The Bible says, I mean, what does that tell you about control? Now, look, I don't mean this irreverently. But God's kind of a control freak, isn't he? <laughs> In the most positive way. Because you and I would operate different, most likely. True? But God has this big picture, doesn't he? See, God knows, the Bible says he knows the end, uh, the end from the beginning. So God knows how this whole thing works out. And so that's why, by the way, the safest place, where's the safest place in the world? Right in the middle of God's will, isn't it? That's the safest place in the world. Now, you can live outside of God's world. He allows you to make that kind of choice, correct? And when you do, what you're really doing is putting yourself in harm's way. You're taking yourself out from under this sovereign kind of control of God. You're choosing through a personal a choice. Uh, to take yourself out from under the sovereign kind of control or will. And he'll let you do that. But God is in control. The book of Esther is a book that I guess if you, if you boiled it down to one statement, it would be God is in control. And this chapter is a reflection of that fact that God is in control. And so when we say that, well, let's look at the first I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm going to read a, uh, just a, a, a segment here of chapter 6, if you will. It says, on the night the king could not sleep. On that night the king could not sleep. Now, oh, let me back up a second. Haman, who hated Mordecai, 
Haman had built gallows. The king, he had, he had eaten with the king and all of this kind of stuff, and he had persuaded the king to give him authority to execute judgment on the Jews, actually to try to wipe them out. And in particular, he despised Mordecai. Does anybody know why he despised Mordecai? Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Y'all remember that Haman, he, he, kind of, he kind of moved up the corporate ladder and then he would, uh, he would, when he would come in and out of the, um, the city gates, everybody would do something. You remember what they'd do? They would stand up or bow down, except for Mordecai, and he just sat there like always. And it infuriated Haman. So Haman said, hey, I'm going to exact revenge on him. Uh, and in fact, Haman, just, he hatched his plot to destroy all the Jews because of that very thing. But in particular, he wanted to hang uh, Mordecai. All right? So he had, he had the gallows. They were made. They were built. He had convinced the king. The king didn't understand what was going on. The king just kind of said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've already talked about what a, how derelict in, in the duty the king was in uh, uh, earlier chapters. But so Haman has got this thing all ready. He just needs the final approval, okay? And he's going to try to get that the next day. All right, pick up in chapter 6. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders um, to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, you have to go back to chapter 2 to get the story, who guarded the threshold, that is the entrance to the palace, had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus or Xerxes. So that's chapter 2. That's when Mordecai is the one who tells the king. And the king said, What honor, distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Okay. So the king can't sleep. And because he can't sleep, he says, Bring me the book of history, the Chronicles. There was a journal that was kept of all the, uh, uh, kind of a historical journal of all the things that happened in the kingdom. He says, bring it to me. I want to read it. And he starts reading, and he goes back, and he says, how about that, that story? Well, Mordecai, that guy, he saved my life. And they never honored Mordecai for that. He just kind of, they hung those guys they, uh, that had tried to kill or were plotting to kill uh, King Xerxes or Hasherus. And, but they never did anything. Now, there's a lot of great stuff here. This is all about the providence of God. It's God's providence. And God, God's providence is His control. That means God's looking out how, o, over things. And things are happening in alignment with the purposes of God. And so... The re Look, never underestimate little things that going, are going on in your life. The king couldn't sleep. Why couldn't he sleep, class? It wasn't insomnia because he didn't, you know, take his night, uh, um, 
nighttime medication. It wasn't insom insomnia. God kept him up, kept him awake. He couldn't go to sleep. It wouldn't matter how much medication he took. He couldn't go to sleep because God didn't want him to go to sleep because God was at work. Providentially, God was working. Now, let, let me ask you something. Do you ever think that the little things in your life might be the hand of God? We always look for the big thing, right? We want to see the burning bush. I see a burning bush. I'm going to think, wow, God's up to something. But I want to tell you, sometimes God's in the little things. You remember when Elijah was depressed and he went and he sat in the cave and he said, God, I'm, you know, and, uh, and it says there was thunder and lightning, but God wasn't in the thunder and there was a, a giant wind and, and God wasn't in the wind. And finally it says there was a gentle breeze and God was in the gentle breeze. And that's when God spoke to him. Have you ever thought it may be some little things that you think God uses the normal kinds of things in your life sometime because he's trying to do something. And in this case, the king couldn't sleep, but it wasn't because he didn't have the right medication. It wasn't because, you know, he just had, had cramps in his legs or something like that. He couldn't sleep because God was not going to let him sleep because God wanted him to do exactly what he did don't underestimate the little things of god the providence of god working in your life listen he is your father he loves you and he's going to if you will trust him and listen to him what is he going to do he's going to orchestrate things in your life where he can communicate with you right so you know, sometimes before you just say, oh, man, I, I, what, I, you know, I, this is happening or this little thing. Or this, maybe say, God, is there something I need to hear? God, is there something you want to say to me? David talked about how the Lord counseled him in the night watches, by the way. Many nights, I've told you this before, when I lay down, when I lay my head on the pillow, I will say, God, speak to me in the night. And he doesn't every night, but there are times when he does. I really believe it. He'll, he'll put something in me in the night, he, he, his word. Uh, and so on. Lord, speak to me in the night. I think it's a good thing to pray. Lord, control even my thoughts as I, as I lay my head down on the pillow. Speak to me in the night. I believe sometimes we miss God because God's speaking in a lot of little things in our life we don't even think about. So before you overreact to something little or underreact to it, maybe say, you know, I wonder, is this from God? It may not be. But God will let you know if your antenna is up, right? Believe that? So the providence of God. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I've just had a change of game plan here. When we come back next, see all those scriptures? We're not going to get to them tonight. What does the providence of God mean for you? Now, don't try to write those down. We're going to come to those in the next couple of weeks. Because I want to talk about what the providence of God means in your life. Do you realize that you are here by the providence of God? You're on this planet by the providence of God. Jeremiah 1.5 tells you that. Before I uh, formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think about that statement. That's the providence of God. And he says, I had created you. I designed you for a purpose. 
So we'll come back to that. Let me show you one more thing here. So that's related. You see the arrow there? That's because we're going over there, and we're going to talk about the providence of God in our lives. How does he express his providence, and what does it mean for our lives? But l let me go. And you notice I said uh, verses 1 to 13, because this whole segment is really about the control or the providence of God. God's in control. And God is providentially at work in our lives. And that is good news for us, that God is providentially working in our life every day. Okay, but here's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to see God's protection. Verses 3 and verse 13. Uh, look at verse 3 with me. And the king said, What honor distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? King's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who's in the court? Now, here's what had happened. Haman, who had planned to hang Mordecai on this very day, has shown up early at the palace. Now, he's a high-ranking government official, but nobody could go into the king unless the king summoned them. And so people would line up in this outer area, this kind of outer court area, uh, with matters they needed to discuss with the, the king, and, and his attendants would tell him there's so-and-so out in the, in the courtyard or in the outer chamber, and they would like to speak with you. But you couldn't just knock on the door and say, I'm, gonna go, I, I'm here, I'm going to go in and see the king. Esther, do you remember what she said about that? Does anybody remember what she said about that? If I perish, I perish. She, she said, because I can't go in unless he calls me in. But she said, because if I do, he may have me executed. This is the queen. And he said, well, who knows, but you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so she, she goes in without being summoned. And if the king held out his scepter, it meant you're okay. But if he said, you know, off with her head. Kind of, and she went in, and, and she told Mordecai, okay, I'll do it, and if I perish, I perish. So Haman has shown up early. He's shown up early because he wants to get his agenda before the king because he wants to go ahead and get rid of Mordecai. This is a, there's an ironic twist to this story. He wants to go ahead and get rid of Mordecai. He wants to get it over with and move on. He's there before anybody else. So here's what the king says. Who's in the court? Somebody out in the court. I hear somebody in the court. And so the eunuchs go out, they check, they come back, and they say, King, I'll tell you who it is, it's Haman. He says, oh, Haman, tell Haman to come in. So Haman comes in, and before Haman can put his agenda before the king, the king says, you know, I've been reading the Chronicles, and, and he said, what should you do? What should, what should a king do to honor a person who has done something protective for the king or save the kings or spared the kings how could i honor a person like that who who has been loyal to the king haman who is so full of himself makes the faulty assumption that he's talking about me <laughs> and so you know what haman does as you read on the story 
Haman says, well, you ought to give him a, one of your horses, a horse that you've rode. You ought to put your used royal robes on him. You ought to put a crown on his horse. And you ought to have somebody lead the horse around and saying, this is what happens to the person who honors the king. <laughs> a parade, literally. And he gives him all that instruction. The twist is, he doesn't know that the king's talking about Mordecai. All of this is God's providential protection. It is God's protection of Mordecai because if Haman had have advanced his agenda, he would have hung Mordecai that very morning. So God is, now, you see once again, God is in control. And look, I think this story also represents a fact that God has a sense of humor. And God is kind of messing with, with Haman. And so Haman's so full of it. He said, man, the king loves me. Remember I had lunch with, with him and his wife and all of this kind of stuff. And so what we see is God's protection. Look over in verse 13 because we also see an expression of that as well. That after this is all over, after these things have all transpired, Haman's friends and his wife tell him, well, if, if, if this guy, is, if his God is with him, essentially that's what I'm saying, you don't stand a chance. His God will protect him. So here's what it says to the believer. Let me ask you this as we close, and I'm going to stop there. Again, we'll come back next week, and we'll jump back to this whole matter specifically of what does the providence of God mean for your life. But I want to ask you something tonight as we leave, and it's this question. When you read that, what comfort does it give you about being a follower of God? Okay, that He's going to protect me. All right? And He's going to take care of me. What, what, what other comfort does it bring to you? Yeah, that's good, Alan. This is where God wants me. I am in the place where God wants me. Now, I want to tell you something. If you are walking with God, you are in the place He wants you to be. Right? Uh, the faulty assumption that we make is that if we're in the place God wants us to be, everything is smooth. <laughs> No, we were all thinking that. We're in the if we're in the that, that everything just goes smooth. That's not true. There was conflict here, right? But the comfort is what I'm in the place of God. This may be my mission. This may be God's purpose for me. Even as Esther said, at the peril of her life. But what is the comfort if you say, well, I don't like that option? I mean, I don't know anybody that does. But what is the comfort there? To be absent from this life is to be present with the Lord. Do y'all think anybody that is, that is now with the Lord is regretting it? 
<laughs> I can't imagine, can you? You think anybody there? Not? So, all right, just a couple of more thoughts before you go. What, what kind of comfort then does this bring to you what, when we see that, that by the way, it also tells us that God can find you. You say, well, nobody remembers. what I, God remembers. And this happened a long time ago, you know, and then suddenly Mordecai says, I mean, uh, uh, the king says, what do we ever do for that guy? We didn't do anything for him. You know, a lot of people would have had a pity party. Well, here I saved the king's life, and he didn't do anything for me. I'm still sitting out here outside of the gate. That's what I'm doing. And, you know, you would have thought he would have rewarded me or done something or, you know, for that. But he did Mordecai didn't because Mordecai's life was tied to his relationship to God, not to his relationship with the king. So what other comfort? Anybody else? What other comfort does this give you? God is a rewarder. Now listen to this. You say, well, I've been through a lot of stuff that God has never rewarded me. God doesn't settle all his accounts in this life. Right? He may. And it may be a lot later even in this life than you think, too. He can and sometimes does. But he doesn't settle all his accounts in this life. And by the way, that's pro and con. Because sometimes you and I will see somebody out there and we'll say, how in the world does God allow that person to operate and live and, and prosper the way they seem to prosper? How does God do that when, when believers struggle? Sometimes they die and, and they've been so faithful and all of that. Just always remember God doesn't settle all his accounts in this life. But he does settle all his accounts. Hello? Y'all do believe that, don't you? So, any other comfort you derive from this? Because we know God's in control. We just don't always live like God's in control. Anything else that comforts you about that? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God. And by the way, some are going to do it with great joy. And some are going to do it in great agony. You know. And you, you see, that's what you have to remind you. Look, this is not our home. Aren't you glad for that? But a lot of people believe, and even a lot of Christians live like, like the goal is your best life in this life. You remember the Pharisees? You remember what Jesus said about them because they like to parade their righteousness before people. So why did they do that? So people would, oh, you're, you're so spiritual. You're so holy. You're so, you're so, you've got it all together. And you re do you remember what Jesus said? He said, they have their reward. You know what he was saying? That's the best it's going to ever get for them. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust corrode. But do what, class? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven 
So a story like this, I mean, this, it, this has an incredible ending. But not all do, do they? Hebrews 11, you know, the others. But here's what this does. It reminds us God's in control. God doesn't forget. And God is with us always. Even when you think, I don't, is God there? I'm going to talk about Sunday. I know we got to go. I'm going to talk about Sunday. Uh, my message is um, the glory and manifest presence of God. And um, I'll talk to you about that in, in the message in, in particular. But the fact is, you may not always feel God, but you have the presence of God if you're a believer. That comes with receiving Christ. So you have the presence of God. But sometimes you experience the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God is when God displays himself in some unusual way in your life. Or in his church. And it's all connected to the glory of God. You and I exist ultimately for the glory of God. Ultimately, if you just take it to the far end, we exist for the glory of God. And while we have his presence in us, the manifest presence is when God says, I'm going to express myself through you and to you. And sometimes we feel like, well, God's not there. I want to tell you, if you're a believer, God's there. You have his presence. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, Paul said that when you come to Christ,